BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Thank you for listening to Freckled Foodie and Friends. I am here remotely with Kira West, who is the voice behind by K West. Welcome. Hi. I'm so happy to finally have you on. I've We've been... We've never actually met, but we've DM'd for a very long time, and I'm always so appreciative of the fact that you listen to the show, but you also are always sending me feedback, which I so appreciate, so I'm happy to finally have you on here. Yes, I've been such an avid listener. It was one of my favorite podcasts to listen to on my long runs, and I once took my dog on like a six or seven mile walk while I was like really into a couple of episodes. (laughs) Well, thank you. That makes me so happy. Um, And I know we were just talking about this before we started, but kind of like, I guess what we say our titles are. So I introduced you as the voice behind by K West, but it's really weird in this space because we were both saying how we don't love the word influencer, but finding, I guess, that title that encompasses everything you do and then also finding a way to strategically fit whoever you're speaking to because also it matters a lot of like what generation the person's from absolutely I think I thought a lot about this and I guess a part of what we discovered a couple of minutes ago is there isn't really a right answer influencer I don't love because I feel like it just sounds shallow and I my purpose isn't really to influence people but I want to cultivate a community and I don't know if there's mm-hmm. a small word that I can use to describe that I like content you could creator. do community cultivate that's true. Like, I bet people would be like, what is that? And then it starts a conversation, I guess. That's true. And I guess the whole point is you want to start a conversation to be able to kind of share more. So maybe I'll go with community cultivator in the wellness yeah. space. I love that, honestly. I think it's it's weird because I've complained about this being like, I wish that there was just a title that I liked that I could say because in the corporate world, you just kind of say the company you work for or what you're doing and it's so easy. And Although it's frustrating at times, there is also the, excuse me, I just had to burp. There is the opportunity of like, you really get to make it whatever you want. So like, to some people I say, oh, I host a podcast, which isn't my primary income whatsoever, but that might be what they relate to the most. Yeah, I think it's funny that you mentioned that because at work in a full-time situation, we're given a title or we apply for a title. And in this case, one of the beautiful things is that we get to create it. So whatever we call it, 
we really get to be the driver behind whatever it is. I think it's Mm -hmm. just also so nuanced because on a given day it changes. So right now you're hosting a podcast, but tomorrow I feel like the primary part of what you do could be so different that it's hard to put a finger on. But that's kind of what I love about it is being able to make an impact in different ways. Mm-hmm. And there's so much to do. I mean, some days, literally, I feel like my job is talking to my camera and responding to DMs. And other days, it's working on brand contracts or just responding to all the emails I've put off. So it really varies. And it is fun. I mean, we can honestly say whatever the hell we want, which is pretty nice. It is. And there's so much behind the scenes that people don't see. I think one of the things that I want to share more with people about is that piece of it is the brand contracts. I do a lot of pitching myself, a lot of just trying to make sure I'm Mm -hmm. aligned with brands. Now more than ever, it's like asking some of the hard questions about what brands action items are. Um, Totally. And even to get to the point where you're contracting with a brand sometimes takes so long. So long. It can be like a three-day turnaround or it can be like, okay, this is two months now and the content will be live in another two months. Like it just varies so much. Um, And I want to dive deeper into what you just said. But first, I know we've like gotten a little bit into the show. I have to ask, obviously, how would you define success? So I would define success as it relates to impact. So when I think about what success looks like for me, it's really how I'm making an impact in the world, within my family, um, and on future generations. And do you feel like you're being successful in that right now? I think I'm starting to be. I think you can make impact small scale just within your friendships and your community, and then you can kind of build out and have a larger scale impact from there. So I think I'm in the stage where I'm working on scaling my impact um, and really Mm -hmm. seeing where I can continue to make even more of an impact. I think you're being incredibly impactful. I mean, I've always found your content impactful, but I think especially the times that we're in right now in the heart of the Black Lives Matter movement and all of the anti-racism work and really just people, quite honestly, waking the fuck up who are white, um, I think that your content especially has been incredibly spot on, but also very helpful because you're providing very like call to action. Here's what we can do moving forward. Here's what you should be doing. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people, it's a privilege to feel lost right now because that means that you haven't experienced racism and you haven't been on the receiving end of it. And you're only now really realizing it, which is frightening. And I bucket myself in that group. Um, But I think a lot of people unfortunately do feel kind of lost. And part of me is like, this shouldn't fall on specifically black people to lead the way and be like, do this. But I do think you're doing an incredible job of doing that. Thank you. I think when I reflect back on last week, these were definitely conversations that I've been having for a long time. And things that I've been reflecting on for a while, because this is my lived experience. I don't by any means necessarily think that that makes me a racism expert, but I do think that I can speak to the things that, you know, I think would personally make an impact on me and also encourage people to continue to do the work and understand the why behind it. So I think now more than ever, Mm -hmm. I've thought about, well, how can I be helpful with my content? And what would be relevant for me and maybe what would be relevant for some of the people that follow me that don't look like me. And I think it's a beautiful time in America where like the black voice is being listened to. And so I think I owe it to myself to use my voice because for so long I've, I've thought these things, I've spoken about them quietly and in private, but really haven't had these large scale conversations or really just been fully open with 
my followers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people have been discussing this just in a less like, hey, this is really something that I'm going to talk about on my stories or on my profile. So like pay the hell attention. It's been more subtly discussed, I think. And specifically, I want to discuss the idea of inclusivity and diversity within the wellness space because I had this conversation with a friend of mine, Brianna Owens, or technically now Brianna Thompson, um, on a podcast episode, I guess now like a few months back, where I was saying I had this aha moment where I was scrolling through my Instagram feed and I realized every single person looked like me, whether it was race, gender, size, sexuality, they were all pretty much different versions of myself and my life. Obviously, we have our own struggles and our own stories, but from the surface level. And I kind of was like, how is this helping me grow? I'm not learning anything. I'm not learning anyone else's story or opinion or thoughts other than people who look exactly like me. And that's going to be a very like pigeonholed life with blinders on. And I took it to my community and I said that. And I was like, I want to know more of your favorite influencers who are different than me. And in all of those ways, whether they're gay or black or plus size or whatever. Um, And I did get a little pushback on that, which surprised me to begin with. But when I found these incredible accounts and I started to diversify my feed, I noticed A, how beneficial that was for my thought process and just general concept of people live very different lives. But B, it made me also realize when I host events or you know, even just the people that are DMing me, I'm like, I'm surrounded by more versions of myself. And I don't want that to be the reality. Yeah, I think it's interesting in the wellness space, because to your point, we've been having these conversations quietly. But I think what's been tough is like brands or even people didn't see the importance of making change now and doing the work now. So I think I would consider you a part of the minority in terms of people who are thinking inwardly, critically, before a couple of weeks ago about how they could you know, learn more, diversify more. And I think there were some brands, to be fair, that, you know, had been that way mm-hmm. since the beginning, either because they were, you know, minority owned or black owned or because it was just something that was important to the leadership overall. But I think one of the struggles that I faced having these conversations a few months ago is like, you know, I would voice my concerns. And obviously, you know, I am black. So as a black woman, I'm voicing concerns that make sense for me to someone who may not look right. like me a lot of times, so may not understand the level of importance. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, people would listen, but there wasn't the same push to action that there is now. So I'm appreciative of people and brands for the most part, you know, making actual change and looking at ways that they can do this more long-term. I think yeah. a part of the challenge with wellness is over the past couple of years, it's become so product driven and it's become really exclusive, which I think gets away from the whole so exclusive behind wellness because truly it's about living your most optimal life and figuring out what that looks like for you, which is why I've really tried to share often that wellness should be a right, not just an exclusive privilege for some. And it can include products and it can be an investment, but it should just be about you figuring out what you need to live, you know, better and more optimally. And I think wellness has become a little bit unapproachable. And if you don't I to- yeah, see people that Go look ahead. like you, then it's, it's a lot harder to see where you could fit. Yeah. And I totally agree. And I kind of feel 
it's definitely happened more and more over the past few years. And I would say even I had this moment, I guess now like six months ago, kind of, where my whole mission on Freckled Foodie was to make healthy living approachable. And I did that while I was still working in sales and trading and my focus was on meal prep. And it was like, this is how you can cook food on the weekends. And my whole thing was I was saving money because I was appalled by my credit card bill when I moved to New York and I wasn't even shopping. It was like all of the sweet greens and the dig ins and all of that kind of stuff. And my mission started on like, here's how I can save money by cooking. And then it encompassed more of like general wellness. And I think I got so caught up in when I quit my job and became, I guess, whatever, if we want to say the word influencer. Um, and you start to get more things for free and then you're promoting them. And then you forget how expensive some of these things are and how really unapproachable and unattainable they are to majority of your audience or community or just the world. And there were days where I'd go to like a New York Pilates class and no shade on any of these things, but go to a Pilates class and then get a breakfast date with someone and then have acupuncture. And then I, the end of the day would come around and I'm like, I just looked according to my Instagram, like I spent buttloads of money and made it seem like that's how you have to live your day to be in wellness. Meanwhile, I didn't pay for most of that stuff to begin with. So I feel like a fraud in that sense. But also just like this is not what healthy living and wellness needs to be about. It shouldn't have this massive price tag because it excludes so many people. I agree. And I think hopefully now we're at a point in time where we can you know, be sharing more about how you can be well and just being conscious. I think you do a really good job on your platform of being transparent. And I think, you know, I'm trying to do even more of that, right? And thinking just about Mm -hmm. what's accessible, you know, what makes sense. Because as you do get into this space and you are working with brands, you're totally right. I mean, the parts of your day that might look great may not be the most accessible pieces. And so I've been trying to think through ways of like, you know, maintaining my personal wellness that don't cost money, I think quarantine and COVID has been a great challenge for me in that I'm not at home. So I don't have a lot of the normal things that I would have. And so it's like, I'm learning to do more with less. I have more time to Mm -hmm. cook. So I'm figuring out, you know, even just how that adds into my overall view of wellness too. and, And what else I can be doing to share, you know, the things that I've learned to that end, uh, because I think it's so important. Yeah. And I think you brought up a really good point because for me, I used to feel, and I totally recognize the privilege that is about to go into the statement, but I used to feel like overwhelmed some days when I had all these appointments. And then I'd be like, what are these appointments even for? And like, I know I had health issues. And so a lot of them were actual doctors and stuff like that, but I hated it. And when quarantine started, I said to my friend, I'm like, you know what? I feel less generally anxious I'm anxious about the state of the world given we're in a pandemic, but my general levels of anxiety for the most part are a bit lower because on a daily basis, the like the abundance of opportunity has been taken from me. I wake up, I work out, and then I just sit at my desk and I work all day or I spend time with my family or husband and we cook and that's kind of it. I'm not being pulled in all these different directions like I feel I am in New York because I also think it's really easy to get wrapped up in the city life of like, go, go, go. You have to be doing 20 things at once. And similarly, it's made me realize I don't need half of the things that I spend money on. Like is acupuncture great? Yes, of course. Do I think it helps? A hundred percent. Do I need to be doing it every other week? 
absolutely not, not in this specific stage of my life. And even like you said of just being with limited options, I went into New York for a day to grab stuff from our apartment and I started thinking about all the things I have in there. Like I have a drawer, massive drawer filled of like supplements with all of these pills that I used to take. And I obviously don't haven't had any of them with me for the past three months and I feel fine. And I'm not saying that those things don't work, but I'm starting to realize I really don't need as much of these things that I paid for and thought I relied on so much to have like a healthy life, quote unquote. Same. I think quarantine has been such a beautiful time for introspection for me and just really looking inward. Um, There's a saying Mm -hmm. that I always mess up and then say I'll look up next time and never do, but you can't fix the wheel on a car if it's going 100 miles an hour. And I don't drive, so (laughs) I I really should look (laughs) it up. But um, for me, I think (laughs) think it really speaks to this time in my life. So I think quarantine allowed a lot of us to just take a step back. And I mean, I recognize even the privilege in that for, for me and being able to still right. have the time to do that. And and I think I've realized to your point, I'm living with, I'd say maybe 20% of my closet. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm in a whole new city that I'm, I'm not from and, and have never really spent time in. So I think for me being out of my comfort zone in that way, I really had to break down, you know, what did I need to be well? And at the core of it, a lot of it has to do with like my family relationships. So I still call my parents and, and chat with them. My boyfriend's really important to me and like growing our partnership. And so, you know, when I look back on all the things that I was doing and I did a lot of rushing around, like most people in New York, I think mm-hmm. now it all seems not unimportant, but when you look at the priorities, it's like, I'm healthy. I can put food on the table. I have a roof over my head. Like, I'm able to do something that I love and, and I'm with people who love me. And it's like, that's, what's really important. And yes, supplements help. And yes, acupuncture is great. And there are, there are things that make your life experience more enhanced. But I think when I get down to the core of like what I need to fill up my cup, I can do it in a lot of ways that I didn't even think about before. Absolutely. And I really noticed that in the very beginning of quarantine, when I started working out from home because it was the only option and I noticed I was doing a 30 or 45 minute workout at home, getting as great of, if not sometimes better sweat and not having to do the like 30 minute to an hour commute time to the class, getting ready for the class, putting stuff in a locker, going home. Like it does take up so much time and I'm not saying I'll never go back to group fitness. Obviously I do love the aspect of community, but even that has been eye-opening. Of I don't, I don't need certain things that I thought in my day-to-day life because I was just so in it that I, I don't need them as much as I thought I did. And I think this whole experience of quarantine has allowed us to kind of like take a step back almost and look from a bird's eye view at our life and almost assess like what did I spend so much time on before that I thought was integral into my life or necessary that might not be the case moving forward. Like when we return to quote unquote normal life, like your normal might very much change. And I I do think mine will. Same. And I think, you know, that definitely scared me for a little while. It's like, you know, the normal that we had before just may not exist again, but I think I've shifted my mindset and become a lot more excited about being able to create whatever my new normal is. So I think to your point, you know, I used to get up at six o'clock in the morning. I used to go to a workout class that was 45 minutes to an hour. I would shower and change for 30 minutes and then 
take another 30 minute train ride to get to work on time mm-hmm. because I still work full time. So I was at work between nine and five and then I'd have events and, you know, some days it would get even crazier and I'd have more than one. Um, and, you know, now I think we're in a place where I wake up at 830. I do a 30 minute workout. I go to work, you know, I, I take time off and it's it's just a different balance. And I think going back into whatever the new normal will be, I want to be very conscious of like trying to maintain you know, what keeps me happy and, and what I need and, and how I can maybe do that in new creative ways. I think if you told me three months ago to work out from home, I'd probably been like, eh, I'd rather not. And I, I wouldn't have even tried. And I Same. think now I'm like, oh my gosh, there, there are so many great things that I can do and so many different options that it's mm-hmm. really broadened my horizons. And I'm a creature of habit, super type A. So I think for me, me too. I, I never would have... I never would have done this sort of like digging and, and work into what could be possible without a situation like COVID-19 and quarantine. Right, we just, had to be forced. <laughs> yes, I did. But now I'm thankful for it. Um, me too. For sure. It's also, I mean, me personally, I've been with my family so much and even just maybe you feel the same way about your boyfriend, but for Joe and I, my husband, we've he never was someone that worked from home. And, you know, he – it's been hard at times because, you know, we're both trying to work at the same time and it's hard to like shut off when he also has work at home and I just have trouble shutting off to begin with. But it's also allowed us these like mornings together that we never had. He was always out of the apartment by 530 to get to the gym and, you know, we were doing our own thing all day and we'd reconvene at night for dinner if neither of us had plans. And now it's like we work out together in the morning. We have lunch together every day. We're cooking dinner together because he's not staying late at the office and commuting home. There are small pockets of brightness within this dark time. And I also want to recognize that I do realize the extreme consequences that COVID has had on many families and the privilege that we're even having this conversation But I do think it's helpful to reassess when we're all feeling angry or sad or anxious about the state of the world in quarantine to really be like, but what has it brought me and what do I want to continue? For me, like I've refound my love for reading. I have cannot stop reading. And that's something that I used to do a ton when I was commuting to work. And then when I stopped going to the office, I just didn't find the time for it. And so even something as simple as that, I'm like, this is what I want to keep this part of my life when we go back to whatever this new normal is. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've always struggled with, and I sense that we're probably a bit similar here, is being super type A and and having so much that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. I'm big on scheduling and planning. And COVID was one of those things that just no one really planned for. You know, my family got sick in the beginning, and it was really scary. Like, I'm super close with my dad and my stepmom. And thankfully, you know, they're they're all healthy now. And my brother is fine, too. But it was it was really hard for me because I wasn't in Brooklyn, you know, I, I couldn't see them. And I didn't know when I would be able to like, you know, hug them and see them again. And you never really think that that's something that you're going to have to think about, especially because my parents are, you know, fairly healthy. And, and so it was definitely shocking. And I think I'm very thankful that, you know, my boyfriend and I have been able to spend this time together because usually we're in a long distance relationship. And that's great for scheduling when I have, you know, a bunch of things that I'm doing. But the quality time means a lot to me. So, you know, I've really tried to shift my mindset and just focus on what quarantine has given me versus like what it's taken away, because I definitely miss, you know, the freedom of being in New York and and everything being open. 
but focusing mm-hmm. on that has not been helpful or beneficial for me. So right. I think, you know, taking the gratitude with me too is what I want to do when we start to get back to normal, because I think I've been so thankful for the little things now more than ever. And we say, you know, to be grateful for the things and to, to talk about it and to write it down. But I think this experience has just really forced that to become an active part of what I'm doing and what I want to keep doing mm-hmm. moving forward. I agree. And what you just said reminds me of kind of, I use this analogy a lot, but you know, when you're really sick and you have a cold and you're like, oh my gosh, I just wish I could breathe, like going to bed. I just wish I could breathe out of my nose. This is so frustrating. Why don't I ever appreciate every other day that I can breathe out of my nose? Like, I'm not going to forget this. And then the cold goes away and of course you forget it. And I feel like that's that kind of phase we're in right now where it's like, I'm going to appreciate these things when they happen again. And I I really, really want to actually appreciate them. So I'm constantly reminding myself of like when I'm finally able to reunite with like a big group of friends and like spend time with them, like I'm going to relish in that moment. I don't want to forget this feeling. Yeah. I think another thing is just being really present. So I, I feel like doing so many things, working, having by K West, you know, trying to grow by K West, being a girlfriend, a daughter, a friend. I was, I was in a lot of places at once. So I could be physically somewhere, but mentally I was thinking about the laundry list of to do, you know, things that I had. And so I think now because you don't have the luxury of being in a lot of physical places, Mm -hmm. I've really learned to be mentally present in the moment and, I think that that's an exercise that I definitely want to take with me too. So when I get to reunite with my friends and family and, you know, there isn't as much challenge around, are we wearing masks and the logistics of what it Mm -hmm. is to social distance hang out these days? um, I definitely think that I too am going to make sure that I'm present and like relishing in that because it's just so important. We never know these days. I agree. And for anyone listening right now, I only say this because I've gotten DMs. No one's pulling you over. It's just a siren in the background. Um, I've gotten messages that are like, oh my God, I literally pulled over to the side of the street because I heard a siren on the episode. Oh no. Um, Yeah. We're trying to figure out what's (laughs) going on actually, but there have been sirens for the past like 40 minutes on and off. And it's kind of- Where are you right now? I'm in Hartford, Connecticut, downtown. Okay. Um, Are you near Trinity? Isn't that where Trinity is, university or college? I'm near UConn. Oh, okay. Got it. Um, (laughs) And then (laughs) UConn something. Um, Back to initially what we were discussing regarding diversity within the wellness space. I think we definitely talked about one of the main focuses of actually making it more inclusive from a price standpoint. But I'm also curious how you feel the wellness space in general could just include more people, but also just allow more people to feel welcome. Because I do think that there are these barriers. And honestly, part of me is I think that there's a ton of cultural appropriation happening in the wellness space. And I do think a lot of that is going to come out more and more as this has been a focus and not necessarily cancel culture, but I think more people will start to learn what actually is happening and maybe come to the realization of, oh, I don't want to participate in this. Um, but I'm trying to figure out ways as a community cultivator, like we said, to make everyone feel welcome and to break down the barriers so that when I look around a room at one of my events, not every single person looks like me. 
So I think there's a couple of different things to be done. I think diversity and inclusion go hand in hand for a reason. So to your point, I think you said it perfectly. It's great to have different people sitting at the table, but it's so important to make sure that they feel included because if you have, you know, five different types of people sitting at the table, but only one person feels like they have the power to speak up and you're still just getting the one voice. So I do think right. that people and brands should start by trying to have diverse, you know, faces at the table or at their events or teaching at their studios um, or hired, you know, to be on their staff, because that's a great starting place to make sure that you at least have, you know, the diversity there. And I think to your point too, diversity in light of Black Lives Matter is very focused on Black men and women. And there's so much history that goes on and, you know, can explain why that's very important. But I think diversity overall in the wellness space is, is a huge problem. So whether it be, you know, people who are people of color that don't identify as Black still not being present, whether it be, you know, like you were saying, size inclusivity, so making sure that people don't feel intimidated Mm -hmm. because they might not have the same body type or structure as someone else, or even if it's being open to different political beliefs or different religions or, you know, different sexual orientations. And I think diversity is really a spectrum. So I think companies need to think critically, not just what they're doing about supporting Black Lives Matter and Black people, which is super important, but also about how they're looking at diversity across the board. Um, And I think awareness is part one, and then action is definitely part two. And I think with inclusivity, it's once you have the people at the table, whether they be your employees or, you know, you have customers and clients or like you, it's just people that are members of your community. It's really taking the time to actively listen and to understand, you know, what would actually make them feel more inclusive or what the blockers are to them feeling like they can enter, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. it's very funny because I was asked, um, you know, about a wellness opportunity and why there were not more people of color and black women that were interested. And I went and pulled my community, which is 70% African-American. And there was a common misconception that pay and like the cost was what was the biggest factor in terms of why someone wouldn't hit book or buy, but it actually had a lot more to do with the inclusivity piece and not feeling like they would be included or, you know, that they would be comfortable. And that's the reason why, you know, they weren't pursuing the experience and and weren't pursuing moving forward with that. And I think for me too, it even reminded me that you can't be what you can't see. And Mm -hmm. there's just so much representation that is lacking in a lot of spaces that makes people feel like there's no way that they can have access. There's no way that they can be a part of it um, beyond just the cost and investment. I think there is some work to be done within the black community and within the community of color in terms of understanding the investment that is wellness. So yes, you can, there's so many free ways that you can be well and and live your life more optimally, as we were saying earlier. But, um, you know, I personally choose to invest my money in travel and in wellness, because that's what fills up my cup. And that's what I feel like is the gift that will give back to me versus like, sometimes spending on more material things or things that might have a very instant gratification. So I think that shifting the mindset culturally too is something that I want to continue to work on. Um, So not only brands making themselves more approachable, but, you know, people of color feeling like this is something that's worthy of their time um, and their investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it also, I've, I've, kind of been struggling with the concept of this, but I do think in general across all races, people feel comfortable with people who look like them 
I think that's a statement that we majority can agree with that, you know, you kind of flock to people who might look like you or have the same beliefs as you. And I think for me to, and I'm kind of spitballing here, but I do think for me to provide a more inclusive and welcoming space, I also have to participate or attend or whatever it may be, but enter in spaces of people who don't look like me either and like grow a community in that sense. And like going to more events that are maybe hosted by people of color where it's majority, whether it's black or Asian or whatever people are attending And maybe there have been times where I've been like, oh, I don't know if I would fit in, but trying, you know, I think we all need to put ourselves out there more instead of just sticking with people who look like us and might make us feel more comfortable. Does that make any sense? It does. And I think, you know, funny enough, I don't always have that luxury. So a lot of times when I'm going to events and things like that, I'm the only black person or I'm the only person of color. And I think I've become a little bit desensitized to it because I went to a primarily white institution. You know, I've worked at companies where that's just what it looks like during the day. So it's not as Mm -hmm. stark for me when I go into my nightlife or into my 5k West piece of what I'm doing. And it's similar there. I think I realize that I have a duty to really make more space. So it's great that I'm, you know, that I'm there, but is there any way that I can bring someone else with me? Is there any way that I can open the space up for others? So that's what I've been trying to do a lot more of. But I think as an ally, one of the greatest things that you can do is put yourself into a situation that would allow you to maybe understand a little bit about, you know, what I might be feeling when I'm in that same scenario. So if you're going to an event where, you're the minority. I think it can be a really big learning experience. It's also a great connection or a great time rather Mm -hmm. for you to build connections and build community in a different way. And maybe it'll challenge you to think about your platform differently or just get different opinions, which I think is something that you're really good at seeking out. But I think if more people, if more brands would put themselves in those situations, they might grow and, and learn more. Because when you think about it, you know, to be an ally, if you can just reflect back on one time where you felt like you were the only one or you were the other in a situation and what you might have wanted, I think sometimes it's easier if you're actually in that situation and you're like, okay, I'm here by myself. If this was to be the case at one of my events, like what would I want or or how can I make it more inclusive? I think it makes it a lot more real. Because events are already just weird in general when you show up on your own and you're like, kind of awkward and you're trying to find people to talk to like no matter what. And then if you're the minority, I'm sure that's amplified to an even further degree. And I think you're exactly right. I think putting myself in those shoes when I have the opportunity to can be great like introspective work to then realize how can I make people more feel comfortable as a host, for instance. Yeah, and I think, you know, price, location is all part of it, yes. and cultural appropriation, which mm-hmm. we talked very briefly about, or you had mentioned um, some moments ago, is is quite prevalent within the fitness and wellness industry. And I think yeah. I view it as when the culture is being stolen without any sort of homage being paid or any sort of history being addressed. And I do think, to your point, that's going to come up a lot more now. But I think that, you know, those are the the points in time where you can also push back, you know, anyone can push back and, and ask more questions and re- request more of brands that are doing that. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I think at the end of the day, that also can make someone uncomfortable, right? So if I'm in a workout class and I'm hearing totally. music that's blasting the N-word and I don't see anyone else that's black but me, it's like, you know, I feel like I, I might look around and be like, mm-hmm. okay, so are they going to say it? Like, do they know I'm here? And it's just like awkward. Um, yeah. And I think if it's like something that's discussed and, and very open and honest and transparent, then, you know, I, I might not have that thought process. No, I totally agree. And on that same note, I actually have been, so I got, I guess it was like a few months ago. Um, there was this spurt where the conversation came up a few times with three different people, two of which I didn't know, one of which who I've become kind of like friendly with through Instagram. We've never met, but we DM, you know, like those types of relationships. Um, and it was on recipes that I had been making and one was on a like kind of ramen inspired dish and one was on my enchiladas recipe. And then my friend was just like talking broadly generally. And it was on the concept of cultural appropriation when it comes to food. And, you know, I had a older woman DM me and be like, listen, I don't think your enchiladas are like true enchiladas. That's not how my family makes them. Like I came you know, and she, I responded and I said, thank you so much. Like I honestly based this recipe off of the enchiladas I've had in my life, but I'm sure quite honestly, that's an Americanized version. So can you please send me like what you, what your authentic enchiladas would look like? Because I'm curious to compare and learn. And she was so sweet. She ended up sending me like her family recipe and photos, which was like so unnecessary and kind of her. Um, and we had a conversation and although I was receptive and I, I I think, and she has said that she appreciated my response. I still didn't act on it. And honestly, off of DM and like in my personal being, I was very, it was like white fragility. I was defensive. I was like, what what does that even mean? Like, how am I doing that? I don't understand. Like, I'm just making a recipe. And I think I had a very large awakening with this whole movement over the past two weeks when I went back and looked at my recipes and I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? Like if I'm, I totally believe that food is inclusive and we should be inspired by other cultures. I think that's an amazing aspect of food. But I think especially in the food blogger space, there's a lot of, I love curry and here's my classic take. And it's not a classic curry because, or enchiladas or tacos or whatever you want to call it. Because for the most part, we've stripped these dishes of their culture and original ingredients and most of the time replace them with quote unquote healthier, aka more expensive options. And I don't mean to use the word like whitewashed, but that's pretty much what we did. And I had this wake up and I just went through my entire website and I honestly had to edit like almost every single freaking recipe. And I don't know. I think it's something that every food blogger right now, if you're listening and you have a blog, it's really something to take into mind and notice how you're playing a part in it as well. Yeah, I think, you know, I've loved that you've taken action, especially you've been talking about bringing along their followers on the journey. Um, I follow you and I followed you for a while. So I I feel like it's not something that you kind of just picked up one day and did, but you did make the commitment (laughs) to sharing, to sharing that. I think it's great to hear that looking back on it, you're even seeing, okay, well, there are so many other ways that I can continue to be learning um, and continue to be doing better. I think it's so interesting. Movement and food really do unite people when you, Mm -hmm. when you 
look at how different cultures have their takes on different dishes or, or different styles of movement, it can be such a great learning opportunity that I think that it's so healthy for us to ask these questions and learn more and try and get back to that versus like trying to make everything more healthy or more calorie right. burning and, and missing out on the true history of it. I mean, that's not to say that we, we can't tweak things and we can't make things our own. But I think what's beautiful is that a lot of these different foods or different styles of movement um, can be a way to explore a different culture or explore different parts of yourself. Um, if you do take mm -hmm. the time to really think through the history and, you know, the why behind certain dishes, because a lot of times the reason why food is different in different areas of the world and why cultures are even different has a lot to do with just different history, different, you know, plants and wildlife and, and nature and all of those sorts of things. And I think there's a lot of beauty in it when you kind of step back and really take the time to be open to what's there. Yeah. And I think it also provides an opportunity to not only learn, but to connect with whatever that thing is, whether it's movement or food. And for me, there was a decent amount of pushback when I first talked about this on my stories. I think of confusion, like, well, I don't understand, like, am I not allowed to make a curry dish anymore? And I then provided like an actual actionable example of my initial intro and then an edited intro. And it's really about paying homage and even just acknowledging the original history and culture of the dish that you're making. And obviously, we can make changes to things as we see fit to better you know, fit whatever you're looking for in that moment. But just in a, in a recipe, for example, providing like curry dishes were founded in and when and how they've evolved and, you know, what they bring to the culture and stuff like that. I think there needs to be at least an acknowledgement. And I do think that's what's missing and what's going to come up so much in the near future in the wellness industry, especially when it comes to you know, you think about acupuncture or meditation or the all of the herbal supplements we're taking. Like a lot of these are things from ancient, ancient times of cultures that are not American. And we've now made these mainstream and most of the time expensive options and, and in a sense appropriated them, in my opinion. Um, so I do think it's going to be very interesting moving forward in the wellness space. Yeah, I think what I do like um, is that a lot of, of wellness that maybe wasn't as mainstream, quote unquote, years ago is now a little bit more, I guess, normalized. I think more I'm reflecting on therapy and, and how things like that have been normalized in the past, I would say, decade, uh, maybe even yeah. less. And, and I'm appreciative of that because I think in communities of color, that's even more important and there's still so much work to be done. But I think paying homage and and acknowledging is really important because I don't think that takes away from the fact that now, you know, we are taking better care of ourselves. We're more aware of the things that we can do to optimize our lives, but it is sometimes frustrating when, you know, someone comes out with an herbal supplement and it's like, okay, we have this new great thing that no one's ever heard of before. And it's like, actually this is an ancient <laughs> Chinese herb that people have been using for centuries and like, you didn't discover it. Um, and I guess yep. it's kind of like the Christopher Columbus mentality where, you know, it wasn't lost mm -hmm. to begin with. Um, and I think we want to give credit where credit is due. And, and personally, that's my biggest thing with the appropriation is, you know, it's okay to, to love black music. It's okay to love black culture, but make sure that you know where it's coming from and that you also share that um, and that you have that same energy when it comes to like Black Lives Matter or 
right. all of the other issues that Black people, you know, have from a health and wellness perspective. Mm-hmm. I saw a really funny TikTok of this girl that's like, for I do think right now the white male is the last person to kind of jump on board if I'm being honest um, or to like speak up and own their shit. And I saw a TikTok of this girl who's like, for all of my white guy friends, she was probably like 18 or something, who are so obsessed with every new Jay-Z, Kanye or Drake release, like, where the fuck are you? Why are you not speaking up? Um, and it's it's a sense of like if you're gonna own a if you're gonna love a part of it, like you need to accept and be educated on the culture. Absolutely. And I think what's been what's been really interesting is as a black woman, I don't even really have the luxury of deciding, you know, which side of the fence I want to stand on. I was born on one side and you know, mm-hmm. whether it's trendy next year or not, like I'm still gonna be a black woman and there's so much that I'm gonna have to deal with when I also have kids and, you know, they will look like me as well. So I think yep. it's, it's really reframed for me the importance of, of trying to do the work now. And I think Black people are not exempt from further education and from doing our part to understand how we can continue to make a difference as well. And not everyone within the Black community is as educated on why voting is so important or, you know, what the intricacies of these different issues even mean, even though they may have mm-hmm. the visceral and emotional reactions to what's happening. So I think it's it's really a time that we can all be educating and learning. I think with white men, you know, they probably have the luxury of being quite distant from this in a lot of ways. So as a woman, yeah. I'm sure that there's time for you stepped in the room with many men and you've maybe felt like, okay, I'm second guessing myself and my voice and my power. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, that happens to me as well as a woman in male dominated spaces. Um, and it happens as a black woman in in spaces that are dominated by races that are not mine. But I think you can be a little bit closer to understanding what the experience might be like um, and have some experience being disenfranchised or, you know, not having equal rights. And I think, unfortunately, white men are a bit farther away from that. And if it isn't something that they're prioritizing, (laughs) they have the luxury of being able to live their lives without having to deal with that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, well, it's certainly not, the job of black people to teach others. I definitely have been trying to use my voice to continue to personalize why this is important for me and why for me, this isn't going away. And so for you, it shouldn't either. And yeah, absolutely. I'm hopeful that at this point, you know, there are many more voices listening and speaking up than I have ever seen in the past that we will actually make change. And I've been really marinating on, you know, how do we pay it forward and how do we continue to invest in the youth? Because, at some point we're going to get older and they're going to be the ones that are carrying this forward and they're seeing it now, you know, to a degree, Mm -hmm. but they'll be so important as we look at the decision makers to come. Yeah. And I do think kind of what you just said this time, and I've been saying this with a few of my friends who we've been discussing this for a long time, but this specific time period feels different. I think there were a lot of things compounded on top of one another. Um, I think age of technology helps immensely in a great way. And unfortunately, you know, I will never say that the recording of George Floyd's death is great, but I'm saying even just having that video, sadly and unfortunately, is what a lot of white people needed to see, I guess. I hate, like, I I struggle with this because I – 
did not watch the video. Um, I don't love that videos are being so widely shared because for me, it's heartbreaking that white people need to see this to even believe in racism. Um, And I don't think we should be watching people be innocently killed. But I think with technology, people are finally seeing what's happening because they've had the privilege of not experiencing it. And then also, I think with technology and social media, people are bonding together and there are voices that people are following. And I also think that there were sadly a few, you know, with Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, all being piled on top of one another. And the fact that everyone's home because of coronavirus, it almost felt like this perfect storm that was like, this is the fucking time that it's going to change. And I think finally people are waking up in a sense and realizing all of this, but I do want this momentum to continue. And I know we've talked about this because that is a big fear of mine that, you know, right now everyone's talking about it and learning and sharing. And then when we go back to normal post quarantine, people are going to forget about this. And I think that right now we need to continue this momentum to actually have this era be the beginning of the change of our future for our lives and our children. Yes, sorry, the sirens are back. I'm gonna have to figure out. No, that's okay. Um, don't stop the car if you're driving. Keep listening. But um, <laughs> I think you know it is interesting because it was a bit of a perfect storm, and I think we've all become a little bit. I don't know if desensitized is the right word, but there's just so much violence in America that I think sometimes it's very easy mm-hmm. to be like, okay, you know, it's a far off problem. And, you know, it didn't impact my direct community. So I'm going to mourn and move on. And right. I think it's it's so crazy to reflect back on the fact that we had three deaths that were so unnecessary and so appalling within a span of two months at most. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all were black men and women. And for me, it's just like it makes the fear even more real of like when I have a black child, is this the world that they're going to be living in? Which I think lit the fire under my ass, for lack of a better phrase, in terms of like yeah. being a voice when, you know, others are listening because I want things to be different for my kids so that, you know, I'm not having the same conversations my parents had to have with me. I think, of mm-hmm. course, for me, there is no end to the movement because I'm going to continue to live with these things. I have lived with these things for so long, but I think a lot of, of my friends that are black men and women have felt that this is the time to share our stories because it's not just George Floyd. It's not just Ahmaud Aubrey. It's not just Breonna Taylor. We've all dealt with racism to varying degrees. We've all had challenges throughout our lives. And I think sometimes for people it's, it's hard to, you know, see that the work needs to be done on so many levels. So the police force is a massive problem. And Mm -hmm. I totally agree that that's one major place that we need to start and the legislation needs to support change there. But I think even just change in, you know, our lives. So I think you've spoken about this a little bit, but having the conversations when your friends make racist comments that make you uncomfortable so that they don't do that to someone who's black or, Mm -hmm. you know, I told my story on, my assault, I guess, for a short phrase in Australia where allyship was so important because I want people to understand that if you see something and you see someone, you know, being called names that don't make you comfortable or you see someone being racially called out, that it's on you to make a change and make a difference and step up and say something. So I think hopefully, you know, stories like this where people are like, okay, this isn't someone that I've 
seen on the news or I've seen a video, this is someone mm-hmm. that I know, this is someone that I love, this is someone that I, I actually care about, that drives them to want to further have the change. And I think I've struggled a little bit with the performative piece of things. And while mm-hmm. social media is so powerful, to your point, people can see things at scale in a way that they couldn't so many years ago. At the same time, I think there is this social pressure that's that can be very surface level around okay well in order for me to not seem racist I need to share a bunch of resources on my story and right. then boom I've done the work and it's like no the right. way that you I post do, the black square then I'm an ally yes and I can move on and um I think one yeah. of the things that I've been doing behind the scenes is not as much with people because I think people are entitled to do the work you know, personally, and, and everyone is doing this at a different speed, because if you're just waking up, I can understand that this is a lot. Yes, it's exhausting. And I've lived with this for many years. But if you're, if you're just waking up, it's like if you're going out into a snowstorm, and you've never been in winter before, it, it's overwhelming. So I get that. But with brands, I think, if you posted a black square, and then you had no plan of action, that's mm-hmm. where I see a big problem. And that's where I think it's a lot more easy to identify. Um, and that's where it, it's quite problematic. So I, I want people to understand that, you know, at least from my perspective as a black woman, I'm not expecting you to be the perfect ally tomorrow, but I am expecting that when you know better, you'll do better and that you're really looking internally and having the tough conversations with yourself and then with your friends and family, because your friends and family aren't going yeah. to listen to me necessarily, but you know, they'll listen to someone that they love. And I think that's where the change happens. I think it has to go across generations. So you've got to teach your kids that, you know, this is how they should treat people. They should recognize that they're different, understand that they're different and then love them for being different um, mm-hmm. versus like not seeing anyone different at all, because I don't think that's a sustainable way of life. And then I think, you know, for Neither. a lot of our parents and grandparents who might have had different views on the world and they've been around for different versions of, of our existence, they need to kind of understand what the future should look like and how they can support as well. And I think those conversations are especially tough, but um, those are the ones that really matter. I agree. And it's a ripple effect. Honestly, if like, if you're listening to this and your parents have been a bit combative about the whole topic and they don't understand or they're making slightly racist comments and you've never spoken up, like having those hard conversations to hopefully have them realize will then ripple effect in the sense of they might then start calling out their friends. Your parents might be working at large corporations where they realize and they're senior shit. Like we do not have a diverse enough community or interns or hires or whatever it might be. And then they're making changes. And I do think it can feel so, well, how can I actually make any difference? And I'm such a small piece of such a large puzzle, but I do so seriously believe in a ripple effect of if you're the person that decides to start calling out all of your friends when they're making a stereotypical joke, sure, they might, you might feel uncomfortable and you might then be the person that they're like, oh, she's so uptight, but they'll stop saying them at least in front of you. And then maybe they'll stop saying them more. And I think about this as the, I was having this conversation with Joe of like how things that we did in our past just felt so normalized. And now when we reflect, it's like, what was I even thinking? And it goes, I think obviously it applies to race and stereotypes made and stuff. But even when you think of when it comes to homosexuality and 
the word, I hate saying it, so I won't, but like the F word, where guys used to say that all the time as kids. Like, stop being such a X, Y, Z. Do you know what word I'm talking about? I do, and I don't like to say it either. Yeah, I won't say it. I refuse. But I remember in college, there were a few girls in my sorority who said it like very casually, like it was just part of their language. And I would, I was so appalled. And I kept saying, you have to stop saying that. That is so incredibly wrong. You cannot use that word in my presence. And they stopped. And I think even just having a small ripple effect like that, like we have to be willing and confident and comfortable in the uncomfortableness of calling people out. And like, that's on us because we have the opportunity. We're in the primarily white room that might have a racist comment made every once in a while. And if someone is not in that room to stand up for black or people of color, like you have to be that person. And another ripple effect is with children. And I think you said that's what lit the ass under your fire when you thought about having the potential conversation with your children. For me, more and more people are asking me when I'm going to have kids and they're like, Joe, Cammy, when are you guys going to have children? And you know, they're all on my sister and her husband as well. And my sister and her husband will have black children. And that's something for me that I'm like, I want to do this work for their kids. Like I don't want their kids living in this world and I don't want their kids to feel uncomfortable around my children. I want to make sure that my children are aware that, you know, not that they see color and that they accept and love color and that they defend color and live in a space where they're active allies. And I think that was what really recently lit a serious fire under my ass as well. Totally. And I think it's not supposed to be comfortable. So to your point, it's definitely uncomfortable to have these conversations as a, as a black woman or to be in the room when this stuff is going on and feel like you ha- you have the pressure of having to say something. So I think allyship is sometimes super helpful because it's not just my one voice, but it's now amplified or it's, it's more diverse because someone who doesn't look like me is also recognizing that this is a problem. So it's not just on me to call out the N-word every time I hear it or to point out all of the right. racist jokes because I kind of get tired of that too. I think it's it's super important just to recognize that it's supposed to be a journey and a process. So it's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to make mistakes. I mean, as allies, I would call myself an ally to the LGBTQIA community, right? And so I could make a mistake. And I think, you know, I'm probably a lot more sensitive and, and understanding that that's a part of the process. But we can all be allies to different communities. We can all make mistakes. We can all have different levels of learning. And I think as long mm-hmm. as you're open to continuing the journey and, and learning in whatever format works best for you, then you're moving in the right direction. And it really is a long game. So I think thinking about kids has helped maybe us frame it for ourselves, because that's kind of how I see the future moving forward. But, um, you know, there's so many reasons why this is important now and forevermore. And I think the more that we can continue the action, the better off we'll all be. Because a lot of what we're fighting for now when it comes to George Floyd's death is, yes, we want, you know, equity when it comes to black people, but we also want to stop police violence and stopping police violence helps everyone. So it's not, it's not just black people that are winning when we are able to get these things overturned or changed or looked at. Everyone is really going to be living in a better society, which I think is important to point out. And sometimes if you take race out of it, we shouldn't be killing innocent people regardless of who they are. You know, kids shouldn't be scared to leave their homes and, you know, to wear hoods in stores because, you know, anyone of any race, like, shouldn't be scared to do that. And I think, of course, a lot of Mm -hmm. it does impact Black people. But 
when you think about making change and the future impact, we would all be living in a better world. Absolutely agree. So I usually ask this somewhere in the middle of the episode, but I loved our conversation. I didn't want to sway away from it. But what would be your favorite characteristic about yourself? I would say my resilience is one of my favorite characteristics. So I think I'm one of those types of people that can get knocked down nine times and I'll get up ten. That's Cardi B said. I love that as well. I'm big on that. It's like, it's not about how many times you get knocked down. It's about how many times you get up because you better get up one more time than you got knocked down. Yeah. And it's not easy, but I think in life it's necessary. Mm-hmm. I agree. And then to close, I do bring it back to food. Um, but what would be the three ways to your heart through food? So I thought a little bit about this. Um, especially because I've listened to the podcast, so it's like, it's funny, you know it's coming. Um, right. I think first, a good slice of pizza with my boyfriend is just such a moment. So I'm really big on food and like the emotional ties and just like Same. the moment itself. Um, he's a huge pizza lover and I didn't grow up loving pizza, but it's become something that we love together. I think the second thing Are you is- big on NY pizza? I am, but I don't know if I have a favorite yet. We're supposed to go on a pizza tour because I wanted to try everything and then really make a a good decision. But marinara in the city has a really good MVP slice. It's pesto, vodka sauce, and marinara, and it's so good. Oh, my God. Yeah, I haven't had that. It also looks beautiful. I don't know if that's just, like, a me thing, but I'm like, it looks good. It tastes good. I'm all about it. That Um, adds to it. I love a good kale salad. So kale is big for me, but like with all the things, I feel like people have this idea that salads are boring and like, I love them with like, like tons of veggies, some chicken, like just everything super colorful. Mm -hmm. Um, And then fries, I think are the last thing that I couldn't live without that are always the way to my heart. The skinny kind, waffle, tater tots, which I had a huge family debate on a couple years ago. Yes, it was, it was quite big. Uh, I thought they were. I don't know if I would agree with you. <laughs> the, the final consensus was that, was that no, they're not fries because they're like reformed small pieces of potato. They're more like tiny hash mm-hmm. browns, but I still yes. love them all the same. Um, and I'm a huge fried person. So yeah. I love, love French fries. It's my mom's favorite food. And so if it's ever on the, like, I always get an order of fries for the table. You just have to, wherever you are. Always. And I'm the type of person that will order fries and a salad at dinner and be like super content. Oh, same. That's an ideal meal for me. (laughs) Same. Um, All right. Well, once quarantine is over, we'll go get a good slice of pizza, a salad, and some fries. Yes. I'm excited. Um, Well, thank you. Me too. Thank you so much for coming on here. Um, Thank you for all the work that you're doing. And I know right now, especially your time is of the essence and you're being pulled in a lot of directions. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and the Freckled Foodie community. For everyone who's listening, is the best place to follow along Instagram, yes? Yes, at by K West. And my website has good information as well, but I'm going to continue trying to put out helpful resources and just my honest thoughts. So definitely follow along. Yes. And you can, you know, also follow along on her sanity miles journey. There's a lot of good stuff there. So everything will be in the show notes, but thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you. 
Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I thoroughly hope you enjoyed it. If you could be so kind, I would greatly appreciate a rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. Currently, this one's available on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please subscribe to make sure you're up to date with new episodes coming at you every Friday morning. If once a week isn't enough of me, please follow along on my most active social channel, Instagram. Find me, my unedited videos, recipes, random rants, and info for all my other social channels on there, at Freckled Foodie.